Welcome back. This is Kevin. We are back on the road again. Join Carrie and me as we explore new avenues, heading down the road looking for victory and fulfillment, or maybe fulfillment versus victory. Our hope today is we increase our awareness and increase our sense of new possibilities as we move towards expanding our lives. Put on your seatbelts and don't tap your brakes. Backseat Driver, Episode 2, starts now. Here we are. I know. Good Day morning. two. Day two. Good morning. Yeah, it's great. Great to have you here. I'm glad you came. Good to be here. So. So I was thinking, I was curious. I've been reading a bunch of stuff and we had a really good conversation the other day. And I was curious, when you see this evolve and you see where we're, where we're going with this, what are your thoughts or ideas around it? You know, the fun thing about this I'm going to call this a project, but the fun thing about this adventure, let's call it that, yeah. you know, is creating the story that we're creating and we don't know where it's mm-hmm. going. So I think it's great to ask, where do you see it going? And what I would say, I would just give it a general topic. Mm-hmm. And that would be, I would like to have conversations about uh, things <coughs> in our lives that can uh, expand our life, can take our life from being smaller to larger and help us live outside of live within who we are but in a bigger adventure i love it and sharing those insights and wisdoms and yeah so other people can take that within their fabric Mm -hmm. and they can decide oh that that piece fits i can kind of put this in my my manner and this was going to expand my life and make it better this maybe doesn't quite i don't really resonate as much with that Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe later I will. So I hope it's something that for perpetuity, this is going to be something that people can revisit, relook at. It might be like reading a good book. Mm-hmm. You read a good book. Uh, sometimes you don't read it just once. Right. You know, you read it the first time. You you feel a certain way and have emotions about it. Um, you change things in your life because of something you read in a book. Then you go back and read the book again two years later and you see something totally different. So that's totally. what I see this being. It's got an adventure like of uh, how, to, how to live more expansively. I'm excited to be having coffee with you and having these conversations. You know, the speaking of the good book, you had been reading uh, The Infinite Game by Simon right. Sinek and you and I had had some conversations around it and I finally went and read it and I'm stuck on so many of the ideas and principles in there and they've been like rolling around in my head because I think it really challenged me to look at the concept of how we apply, you know, the work we're doing personally, the work we do in our business, how it impacts the people around us, our communities, everything like that. And you and I have a lot of conversations around that. Were there any ideas or thoughts that resonated with you when you read it that, that well there's to? two things one i'd like to say as we start this and i know we said it in the other one but people might just see this piece independently yeah. so carrie you've been our business coach mm-hmm. for five years yeah yeah something like that yeah and you work with fortune management mm-hmm. and you coach mm-hmm. other dentists you coach other 
executives and yeah. other businesses. And so that coaching is kind of your niche now, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we've had a lot of conversations about direction and fulfillment oh, and man. goals vision and visions. Goals. Some of that's been just one-on-one. Some of that's mm-hmm. been with our entire team and the whole bit. So, Absolutely. So that's very... You're, that's where you come from. That makes a lot of sense that we're talking about that today. Yeah. So <clears throat> two things about the Simon Sinek book. We want to mm-hmm. give credit to Simon Sinek. Yeah. He's awesome. He's written several books. Yeah. Uh, Start With Why. Oh, yeah. Leaders Eat Last, I think, Together is one. Together is better. All yeah. of them, yeah. This one is The Infinite Game. I always call it The, the Infinity Game. I know it's The Infinite <laughs> Game. I just read the book, parts of it this morning. But um, the neat thing is just this experience of this book Mm-hmm. Is so revealing about Carrie and Kevin. Yeah. Just this book. Yeah. yeah. Because you heard about the input that I had from the book because we yep. I presented that several times to the team. We've incorporated that in the uh, yeah, philosophical moments that we do. Yeah. I've never read the whole book. No. I've never read all the way from start to you finish. You made me read this book. No, I didn't make you. You were inspired to read <laughs> no, it, I was but but your to read personality it. would be you read the whole book, and yes. that's. that's Best way to be. I mean, so you got to uh, some factors in it that I didn't haven't even gotten to yet, and so I'm inspired to eventually read the whole book. Well, now you have to because I keep asking you what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, things. and I tell you about the part I read, <laughs> <laughs> and you never knew I hadn't read it. So you know, there we go. But I'm like, but, I'm stuck on this. One but thing. what I what I loved is there was so much in there. Mm-hmm. that it just resonated with me. And I think I said, I've said before, I've said to people before, I love books that support what I believe. Yeah. Isn't that the way we are? <laughs> but a lot of times it's about, oh, that makes sense that I do sort of believe that, but maybe I believe it with a little different twist, or maybe mm-hmm. I would put different words to it. So Simon Sinek is obviously uh, very good with words, very good at describing things. He and I talk about similar things. Yeah. We, we uh, package it a little differently. But one of the things that I love, and I guess it's at the very beginning of The Infinite Game, mm-hmm. and I think it's a good way for us to start today. Cool. And I guess he wrote this. Um, it wasn't credit given to anyone else. I assume he wrote it. It says, a signpost stands at a fork in the road. Pointing one direction, the sign says, victory. Pointing in another direction, the sign says, fulfillment. We must pick a direction. Which one will we choose? If we choose the path to victory, the goal is to win. We will experience the thrill of competition as we rush toward the finish line. Crowds gather to cheer for us, and then it's over. Everyone goes home, and hopefully we can do it again. If we choose the path to fulfillment, the journey will be long. There will be times in which we must watch our step. There will be times we can stop to enjoy the view, or we can keep going, and we keep going. Crowds gather to join us on the journey. And when our lives are over, those who join us on the path to fulfillment will keep going without us and inspire others to join them too. That would be the infinite game. Mm-hmm. The competition and the win would be the finite game. Mm-hmm. Which path do you choose? Well, I don't know that you ever, it's always not one or the other. It's different times, different ways. Um, Fair. Yeah, it's not but always I mean, one or the other. Do you think you have a competitive nature? Yes. <laughs> yes, unequivocally yes. Yeah. So, so do I, right? And so when you read this book, I've always been competitive. Mm-hmm. And this reframed that for me. Got like, it. I understood that there's a... I never saw there to be a limitation in it really before I read this book and saw how limiting that concept of winning can be. And, and I think when I, you know, 
in the practice when you're doing philosophical moments with the team at team meetings or when we talk about concepts, it's usually very focused on building culture. And I think yes. one of the things about your practice that's so remarkable is the culture. I mean, the culture of the team, the accountability, the ownership, the passion, the energy that's in that team. So there's a lot of what Simon talks about that you apply. Right. So my, my curiosity would be, talk to me a little bit about how you made that shift, how you, because you very much have an infinite practice, right? Third generation, tons of energy, lots of expansion. How did you make a shift from being more competitive in nature to one that saw it from an infinite perspective? You know, that's, that's a good question. I've often thought back to that. Uh, no question, competition has been big for me growing up with sports, school, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Last one in the family. Success. You know, uh, I mean, you have a successful business. I, I have yeah, a hard time right. believing you wouldn't have been... You would have been good with average. Well, I mean, I can imagine, I can remember within the business, I was trying to think personal and business, yeah, they kind all of blend them. together. They do. But um, with the business, I think the very first moment that it really changed for me was even before I went to the Pekey Institute, which we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. I went to a seminar by Pete Dawson hmm. in Chicago. And there were big ballroom. There was, and he was a protege. You know, he was a follower of Dr. L. D. Pankey, and is a legend in his own mind. Pete Dawson, he's dead now, but he mm-hmm. was a legend in dentistry for the type of things that he taught, which was excellence in your product, excellence in your, you know, learning TMJ, learn all the mm-hmm. aspects of dentistry. And he did a seminar, and so I must have, you know, you pick things sometimes subconsciously without it being conscious. But I look back, and, and it was my competitive nature is why I picked the, the uh, convention. I was probably 28, <laughs> 29 years old, and the title of the seminar is how to, how to Have a Practice in the Top 10%. That was the name of the, I mean, yeah. I may have the title wrong, it's been 35 years, but <laughs> roughly that was the title. Mm-hmm. How to... How to be in the top 10%, I think mm-hmm. that's what it was, in, in dentistry. So yeah. I thought, well, obviously, that was competitive, right? I said, like, oh, yeah, I want to be in the top 10%. <laughs> so I go to this seminar. I can see it today. Kids were little. Lynn stayed home, as, I said, as I've said before. Mm-hmm. I've told all my young associates, Dr. Taylor is a partner now, but he was associate first. I tell them, take a lot of continuing education, mm. period. Just Absolutely. go hear other people in your field talk about our field. Mm-hmm. That's how you learn those people, plus also the people you're with that are the people that would go to that. Right, right. 90% of the seminars are attended by 10% of the dentists. They used to say 80-20. I think it's 90-10 now because you can do so much on webinars, right? Um, But anyway, so I went, and I can remember walking into that ballroom. It was a three-day, two-and-a-half-day seminar. It was 300 dentists, and maybe some wives were there, but there was 300 people, Mm -hmm. okay? Pete Dawson is up there, and he's probably my age now then. And he starts going through it. Well, I thought it was going to all be technical, because it was about, you know, he went into TMJ, he went into Crown Bridge, went into all these things that made what he felt made a dental practice be in the upper tier. But then he went into marketing and just went into everything. So I think that was probably the beginning of trying to decide that I wanted a different path mm. for the practice. 
so that then became the begin the beginning of the culture would have been my father just the fact that it had been there so long that's part of the culture and mm-hmm. being embedded in the community as part of the culture but also it became the shift of how good can we establish what we do as dentists both with our products both mm-hmm. in, and then it morphed into the bigger vision of how people can have total oral health which we've spoken about mm-hmm. before too but Huge. so that's part of the culture so i guess that's i guess it started from competition and um it just more from there and it's just obviously something that as time goes on just the culture today in our practice is well defined we have people that have been there a long time but it has to start somewhere and it started with my father but then it started more specifically in the 90s as we started moving toward more specifically how do we how do we fine-tune this to really be about all of us being about the being a culture working in a culture is about everybody paddling the oars in the same direction. Right, but I think you're being a little bit humble because there's a lot of energy and effort that goes it into, is, it was. into that, you know? And it's taken co- a long time. It's Yeah, and I mean, there's been the evolution just in the five years that I've been right. with you, but the investment that you made in company culture was far before that. You were getting a coach when very few people, and for your practice, when very few people got coaches. The one that had the most impact was 1992 was Sherry Conger Rainey and I've mentioned her before and mm-hmm. she coached us for eight years, three or four times a year she would come in and she and would phone calls in between and helping mm-hmm. the team. But before that I had two or three coaches before that. Mm-hmm. They weren't as effective. I don't even remember some of their names but I had several so I was seeking some help outside of what we had, yes. So and you knew then, it was bigger than, you knew that there... Bigger than what I would know. Right. How to do. See now that that's a key co- component, right? When you know that there's more out there than what you know. Right. Right? When you, you know, so then you're like, how do I go find that? And it's not always a win, to your point, on the first time. But you know that there's more out there. There's more, and you don't know what it looks like. How do you kind of step into that abyss? How do you, what does it take as a... Well, it definitely, uh, if you look back on it, it takes courage. It takes courage because you know you're going to make change. You know if you bring in different influences, you're going to be asked to be disturbed. That's a great way to put it. And change, right? You know, well, maybe doctor, you don't want to do the schedule this way. Maybe, you know, something technical Mm -hmm. like that even. And you're like, well, I mean, I've always done that. And God bless her soul. I don't know how Sherry survived me the first two or three years. (laughs) Were you difficult? That was difficult. (laughs) Yeah, I was resistant to change because I thought I knew as much about it as she did in a way. And in a way I did, in a way I didn't. Mostly Mm -hmm. I didn't in that technical type thing. Um, but, um, But as you do more of that, as you have a little courage and go ahead and make the risk to change some things in your mm-hmm. in your business mm-hmm. and then you evaluate the results and as you evaluate the results you start to say well that's more positive than it was negative mm-hmm. and maybe the things that were negative about it had to do with how we actually did it and maybe the concept's still good All right yeah so i think we got courage as we went along the courage became stronger so little courage to make little changes and then a little bit bigger changes and that sort of thing. So you actually- I don't know what happened. The biggest shift, and I think it's time, I think it's um, mm. like a snowball going down the hill gets bigger and bigger and goes faster and faster. 
uh, I remember John, uh, our other fortune mm-hmm. coach, John uh, mm-hmm. Harris, John would say that when y'all came in five mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. I, we didn't see dramatic changes at for, for a year mm-hmm. and a half. Mm-hmm. And John said, well, you know, you've got 14 people here. That's a big bus. <laughs> a lot of times we're going into an office that has five or four. Right. And that's a smaller car. Mm-hmm. And you can turn a smaller car that's going pretty slow, turn the corner quicker, and hit the accelerator, and you go from 25 miles an hour to 40 miles an hour, or 50, and that mm-hmm. seems a lot. But when the bus is already going 65, mm-hmm. and we've got to change directions, it's going to change the directions slower. Yep. And But once it gets rolling, then it's rolling, like, yeah. the, like the analogy of a train. You know, you have a train sitting still, and you put a cement block in front of it, and you tell it to, and you hit, hit it to go. It doesn't move. Yeah. You mo- move the cement block further down the track, you get going at about 10 miles an hour, get a little bit of speed, and by the time you get to it, you're going 25 or 30, you just bust the cement block and just keep on going, and now you're going 65 or 70 because you got momentum. Momentum is everything. So I can see that our momentum has changed as the practice has become more defined mm-hmm. over the years and every time I think well like I would have thought in 2000 um, I stopped having a consultant for about probably till I got you guys so 10 years however long that was yeah but yeah. Th- there were other steps to take and when yeah. I got new coaches I found new I found new there was a bigger parameter out there which is what we're talking about in this uh, this, yeah. this talk it's the same with our personal life. Absolutely. We think we've hit exactly where we're going to be. And we don't realize that, no, it, there's more there. Mm-hmm. We just haven't been looking. And we didn't know how to see it. So we had to find other people to see what they were seeing. We had to read other books to read what other people's ideas were. So hopefully people see what we're doing now. And it becomes something like that for them. It's more expansive for them because they get ideas that they never even thought about thinking about. So not to miss it, but, or to go back, there's a key of being vulnerable, right? So when you're going to be courageous, when you're going to open yourself up to something new or unknown or saying, Hey, maybe I don't have all the answers. There's a level of vulnerability that goes in with that and resistance and unknowing that goes in with courage. And it's personal too, right? So it's a very personal thing because half of coaching in my experience has been about, you know, um, it's always the people. It's not, you know, yeah, you can make big impacts on the business, but it's by influencing people Mm. to live their best life, create their vision, do their thing, and to get really comfortable getting uncomfortable. I mean, that's, that's the expansive part. You know, I hadn't thought about that, to express it that way. I like it. You know, it is the people. I think about um, if you call Reed Family Dentistry, let's just call it RFD for simplicity. Yeah. If you talk about RFD and talk about the culture of RFD and how has RFD changed and morphed over the years and what's different about it and why has it got a vision that does seem to be so defined. Well, mm-hmm. one thing is we have words to it. We've been able right. to put words to it. Yes. You know, we have simple motifs, words, phrases. Treating people, not just teeth, that's mm-hmm. that's an idea. You know, mm-hmm. a tooth never walks in here by itself, so. unattached, that's mm-hmm. an idea. Uh, I love to tell new employees, and I tell the team several times a year in, in some of the talks that we have, I'll, I'll say, just remember, we're here to work on patients that we love. This is, 
it's a yes. mantra that we have. We're here to work on patients that we love. We're here to work with team members that we love. Mm -hmm. And we want to show that love to each other. We want to show mm -hmm. the love to the patients and receive the love. And then we want to be about loving the community yes. and showing our love to the community, right? So that's a mantra. That's a part of the culture. And we always finish it. And it, that's all it was for a long time. Yeah. Then we added the fourth step. And the fourth step was, and we want to learn how to love more people. Yeah, find more people. So we don't want to limit. We want to be inclusive. Yeah. And that's, that's the culture became more defined. So, so then what morphs out of that, how that expands even more, I've been reflecting on this lately. We do, so we have a team. We have 14 people, 16 counting Dr. Taylor and I. Mm -hmm. And we meet with each employee, Dr. Taylor and I now, it used to just be me, but now there's two owners, yeah. right? So we meet with each person every six months individually, yeah. okay? And we have conversation. One is an evaluation review. One is more of a growth conference where we talk money, but we also talk about what if we hear what you've brought to the practice, right? right. So there's a two-way communication. In those conversations, the point of that is what I hear almost all the time. It may not be said exactly this way, but this yeah. is the feeling. You know, for the ones that have been there even just a few years, they'll say, I just want you to know how much working here has meant to me and how much it's changed my life. Mm -hmm. And it's not just here, it's when I go home too. Mm -hmm. And that, I hear that in some phrase or purpose all the time. And so that feels good as a leader, mm -hmm. but it also is defines why the culture is what the culture is and why it is so uh, clear Mm-hmm. Because the team members and key area, team members, yep. not staff. Right. Right. So it's an infection. Staff causes uh, bacteria <laughs> called right. by bacteria and you have to have but antibiotics to get rid of it. Yeah, but the team. team, the team, and then their bigger team is their family. Right. More important than RFD. And their community that they're in, their churches, their yeah. actions, their friends, Schools. world that they're in. And they're taking that with them. And so that's what is the bigger part of the culture. And it that's really what is. is the most satisfying part of having a business that's part of an infinite, yeah, infinite look. And that's what he's talking about when Simon says, you know, you're going down the road and people are joining you in the journey. And fulfillment. And when you stop the journey, the journey is still going because those people that joined it with you are still carrying it forward. And that's, that's, that's become a motif of, the, of our culture. I love it because it really does exemplify really the quote that you were talking about, how it became more about fulfillment, right? So, so many businesses that I walk into, they say, okay, our, our P&L needs to look like this and our annual goal looks like this and it's, then it's all these numbers. And yet, when I hear you measuring the success of RFD, you're saying, look at how we've been able to impact and, and improve the lives of our patients right. and, their, and their families and our, our team and their families and their communities. And that's a really important distinction on where you find fulfillment now. Like if you looked back on... Well, I think it drives the, it drives the success of the numbers. Right. Without even having to do that. Yes, we talk, we've talked before and we'll continue to always talk. Yes, we talk about numbers. We, yeah. They know where we are financially. They yeah. know what they're making. They know how their bonus pool works. They know all those yeah. things. We know all those things. Mm -hmm. 
But the drive is about what makes it meaningful to them is one thing, they have to feel like they're in a situation that it provides enough financial resources that they feel like it's enough for them mm -hmm. and that it's beyond enough, it's rewarding. They've been rewarded and appreciated. It has to fit that mold. Absolutely. If it's not, they won't continue to work there, and that's fine, and they don't right. need to be in that culture. But everyone that's there has been there a long time, they feel like they're rewarded. So that's a given. Absolutely. Once they've done that, then the focus is completely about how do we add meaning to our life? How do we add meaning to the life of the people that we're working with? How do we add meaning to the life of the patients that walk through the door? How do we How do we establish the things that make an important culture? How do we establish, um, you know, just respect for other people? Yeah. How do we establish um, trust? How do we establish, um, and, and that's a big key, is trust. Team members trust in each other. Team yes. members trust in their leaders. Leaders trust in the team members. Yeah. And then that trust is seen by the patients, and then they trust us because we on. treat them because of the relationships. It's a relationship-based it's a relationship-based um, path. Absolutely. And, and contribution. So the, the ability to empower you. So what you're saying, what I hear you saying, is that your ability to empower people to contribute in the way that they are satisfied by, in a way that they feel fulfillment from, and that really emboldens the culture and builds that. That's not a small thing. I mean, it's finding a place for each one to do that yeah because how um one may do it yeah that's their expression someone else it's a different way and that's yes. why some are better at different tasks within it but they're all a part of the whole thing and they all understand what the total emphasis is mm -hmm. and the total emphasis is loving the people that walk in the door and helping, because we love them, we're gonna help them get to better health. Yeah. Total yeah. health, ultimately. And that's a big vision, total health, helping everybody get to total and health. And it also encompasses this part of the vision. Yeah. You, you wanna learn how to love more people. Yeah. You wanna love those people to total health, mm -hmm. but there's gonna be some that you're not gonna get past resistance. Mm. Okay? There's Is gonna be some team members that may have to not be team members. There's going to be some patients that may not need to be patients. Mm -hmm. You can't do it with everybody in the world. But for that niche of people that is looking for what it is you're providing, you can expand their horizon. And that's where your self-worth as a leader is. Ah, so huge topic on self-worth. And, you know, the really important com component of that is that people feel empowered to do that, feel empowered to decide when somebody maybe is a fit for that or is not. And that's something that I think lacks in a lot of cultures. Like people don't feel that sense of empowerment and they don't feel without that, that they have the same level of worth that perhaps you do when you're able to make those decisions and distinctions in a business. Yeah, that's true. You know, I think, I think everybody comes at it at a different position based yeah. on what their background is. Okay, and, and with proper respect, non-judgmental, trying not to be critical of where they're coming from, you can help people start to be a part of a bigger envelope that maybe they hadn't seen, right? Mm -hmm. And that maybe they can say, well, I'm gonna do that at least here. 
Mm-hmm. And then that becomes something down the road for Is them. that easy to lead? I mean, as a business mm-hmm. leader who's taken this approach, is it easy? And if it is, was it always easy? It wasn't always easy. <laughs> I wasn't always good at it. You know, <laughs> and even sometimes now, I'm not totally good at it. But I think that, um, I think I wrote a phrase down that um, is fine to share because I'm not going to say who I shared it with, but mm-hmm. I wrote this to one of the team members recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had gotten into a situation, small situation, where I felt like there was a little friction mm-hmm. and maybe we had different points of view or maybe something was taken differently than what I meant for it to be taken. Sure. Maybe it came off as criticism. I didn't mean it to be that way. Mm-hmm. But when I wrote this to the person, I reread it later and I said, this is how I live my life as the leader of the team. So I'll just read it. This is to someone on the team. It is my heartfelt intent to be safe for my team and to be supportive and to serve my patients in a kind way and to be loving to you and all the team. If I fall short, forgive me, And if y'all miss a step, I hope to be accepting and uplifting and to teach you to a better place. It is my true intent. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. And I think that's how, I think that's how you lead in the way that we were just talking about. Right. Because then it's not about, there's no confusion. You're not perfect. The leader's not perfect, but the leader's intent is perfect. Mm -hmm. The intent is to Mm -hmm. be this way. There's a lot of vulnerability in that because there's a lot of room. If for... you miss a step as a team member, I hope that as a leader, I'll be accepting and uplifting and teach you to a better place. Mm-hmm. That takes both of us. Mm-hmm. Is my true intent. If I'm going to be able to teach you, you have to say I'm willing to be taught. Right. So we're both, it's kind of both ends. Investment. So no, it's not. It is easy and it's not easy. I mean, it's living from your heart and f- and until you get experience living from your heart versus your head, it gets, until you get used to leading into the room, as you said, Simon says, into a place that you don't know exactly where you're going. Yeah. That until you get used to that, that that's difficult. Once you get used to that, it's kind of fun. It's kind of exciting <laughs> to, to see where it's going to go. Yeah. yeah. Once you get comfortable with that, once you get comfortable with the unknown, Right. And and leading with your heart. So what we read last week, just two lines. Awaken from John Donahue. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Mm-hmm. When you reach that point, you are leading in a place that's comfortable. And you're just, you become what my other mentor, Kendrick, would say. Um, two things. A great life is within you. Mm-hmm. You just have to express it. Hmm. And when you realize that's where you're coming from and that's what you want your team members to come from, you want to support them to do that. Right. And then secondly, freedom is not worrying about the coming moments. Freedom is knowing you will respond appropriately. Knowing. And as knowing you will respond appropriately. That's freedom. And then you become free to make decisions. So the decisions, so it's not, it, it, it isn't necessarily difficult because you're making a decision fairly quickly. You immediately appraise it. You see there's a, something to do. You've got to make a decision. 
and you make it. I don't know. I think that's not as easy as you might think because if knowing, you accept it as being freedom, though, right? That's your freedom, knowing that you're going to respond appropriately, right? I so, think it takes some years to feel that way. Exactly. Yeah, you got to get experience. there, right? So there's a lot of self acceptance that has to happen. There's a lot of, of, um, I mean, there's other steps I think that gets you to that point where you have yeah. that knowing so that you feel the freedom. But I see that. But the idea is, is the knowing, though, is not that you know that you absolutely made the right decision. You know that you're free to make the decision. And then you're free to evaluate how it works out. Right. And then there's no judgmental on your part about that. You're going to accept how it works out and learn from it. Uh, So that concept, though, right there around judgment and self-judgment, recrimination, freeing yourself from that, and it empowers you later. That's no small thing. No. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, like for some, an evolutional jump. I mean, that's a leap. Yeah, when you, that's, when you do the whole, and this is a good, uh, we made, this is a good way to kind of s- sort of sum up what we've been talking about. I think we can come back to it, but I would like to come back to this subject. Yeah. I would say that it's evolutionary, it takes time to know. And some will not be able to make the jump. Mm -hmm. Some will have a block or a fear that keeps them from making the jump. Mm -hmm. And they have to stay in safety. That's okay, too, for them. But it's going to change where they, how their life expands. True. So, the example that we've shared before. Yeah. You've got a sailboat on the beach, and it's in the harbor. Yeah. And Kendrick used to share this story. And you would you get in the sailboat, mm-hmm. and maybe you're by yourself, or maybe you have a few other people, but you get in it, and you sail out of the harbor. Mm-hmm. Everything It's going to be a great day. you got it all figured out. This is the way it's going to be. You're going to go out. It's going to be beautiful. You get out there, the wind starts bl- You get out there, and you realize, dang, the wind's blowing. <laughs> Waves are four feet high. I've got a little bitty boat. This is tough. Serious chop. What are we doing We've got now? a couple of choices. Yeah. Three, actually. We can turn around, head back to safety. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what we should do. Mm-hmm. You know, if our fear is at a certain height that's not going to allow us to make good decisions, we need to head back. Maybe that's we're important. just not prepared. Yeah. Maybe we're not prepared at that particular moment in our life to sell that particular type of sea. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe the vessel that we're riding in, which is our environment of people that are with us right. whatever. maybe it's just not set up for this maybe it's not the right time or we didn't chart a solid course maybe it's two in the afternoon and that'd be better to do at five in the morning <laughs> right but whatever reason we go back that's one choice mm-hmm. we go back to where we started reevaluate relook yeah. is there something we can do some people will never leave the beach and never leave the harbor yeah. doesn't make them wrong no it just okay. means that's where they are yeah they're probably not going to work at rfd okay because i'm going to want the team to sail. Well, it's going to be But I'm okay with the team sailing back in and regrouping. Yeah. And I'm okay with making different decisions to be more prepared, better, and have, you know, have, have a bigger safety net with us. The second choice is they can hang in the rough water, too afraid to go back, too afraid to get out mm. of it. And it just now, batters them. Yep. And that's where people get with decisions. They're in the tough decision. Maybe the decision is, do I hang in this marriage or do I get out of this marriage? And it's rough waters right there. Do they hang like that for 10 years? If they do, they probably tear the boat up. Yeah. You know, they probably don't make it individually as a human, right? It just, it destroys them. Yeah. 
whatever the issue is. Yeah, there but could be a whatever the things. problem is, we hang in there too long, we tear the boat up. Yep. But that is an option. It is, and people well, we do make We go back to safety, choice. and people make that choice. Businesses make that choice. Often. Then they end up in chapter 11 someday, but whatever. Or and then the major other turnover. Yeah, and they're just not as. Because they're not reading the. Yeah, boat keeps tearing up. That. The third choice mm-hmm. is that I've prepared. Maybe I went back to the harbor a time or two. Maybe I took some more sailing lessons. Mm-hmm. Maybe I got a bigger boat. Mm-hmm. Maybe I got some different technology. Maybe I got more knowledge. Maybe yeah. I got a different sailing mm-hmm. crew. Mm-hmm. I went back, and when the water got rough, I said, you know what? I bet you if I keep going forward, I'll move to a better place. Mm-hmm. And they get out. Yeah. And the swells are gentle. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And they can't see the shore in front of them because it's so expansive. It's a bigger view than they'd ever had. And it's sunny. Mm-hmm. And the birds are following them. And it's just fantastic. Yeah. And they learn something else. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's, that's a part, part of a business growth that's a part of a business's culture to learn how to do that to learn how to get in the rough water and move to the smooth water what what does it take to get past right and that's a that's a beautiful metaphor because it's so real right and it's so applicable across business across personal life across your development education i mean i think even people that are in school sometimes you know you're you're into something that you think is going to be your career or your passion and the water is so rough. How do you go back, reevaluate, reassess? What do I need to Well, and they're in school, quite honestly. When I was in school, when I got out, I thought the whole dental world was a lake. <laughs> I didn't realize that it wasn't even no, a river. Right, you go down a like, river and you get into seven oceans. Yeah. I mean, it's huge what, it's huge what you can live in in your, in your job in dentistry if you want to. I, you know, that's just the thing. I think so often for so many people in so many careers or situations or relationships that they see it as bound. Right, it's right. very bound and it's very finite, and we start to create scenarios that support that belief system. Right. If you're willing to open and become more expansive, how much more enriching is life? You know. Exactly. But it's not an easy decision. A good discussion for future times too. True. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Absolutely. Karen. I love it. Thanks. Glad to be on this journey yeah, with you. Yeah, it's great. Sweet day. Mm-hmm.